go. You ready, Brandon? Yeah. All Sweet. set. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> uh, well, I am here at Cosmoprof in Las Vegas, 2023 with uh, Brandon Frank, not Frank's. You're in my phone as Frank's. Uh, that's, I mean, we are, our family is referred to as the Franks, right? but singular for one of us. Got it. Yeah. I need to change. I need to update my phone. <laughs> Here's Brandon Frank from Pacific Packaging Components uh, out of, is it, I, I seem to recall at one point in time, I was trying to meet up with you when I was in Newport. So are you in the Newport Beach area? No, we're, we're, I mean, we're in like the LA area. LA, so okay. yeah, our office warehouse is in Baldwin Park, California. Got it. So we're, I don't, I know it's just one of the towns outside of LA. Like if you hit downtown LA and you just go straight East for like an hour, depending on oh. traffic, that's so nowhere close to Newport beach. Well, again, I think depending <laughs> on traffic and what you're doing and you know, uh, it's all relative in Southern California. Yeah. It's like the, uh, what was it when when the uh, Anaheim Angels rebranded to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? And I was at the time I used to live in Carlsbad in North County, and I was like, Anaheim is not really that close to L.A. in terms of like it is and it isn't. You know what I'm saying? Like to the rest of the world, it seems like yeah. oh, Orange County and Los Angeles are the same. And yeah. I'm like, no, they're pretty. Yeah, I think it could be pretty rough. Yeah, so. I think people that live along the coast or in LA, like that's LA. Mm -hmm. Everyone that lives further east kind of refers to all of it as LA. Got it. Got so it. I grew up on the east side of town, um, and that's a town called Chino. And so oh, yeah. that's my perspective on LA. Home of Geography. the Ball family. Lamello, yes. Lonzo, Leandro. Yeah. And Diana Taurasi on the women's and side. And Diana Taurasi. I went to high school with her. Okay. Yeah. Ballers coming out of Don Lugo. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Chino Hills is the spot to be, I guess. Yeah. Chino, Chino Hills. Uh, Chino lot, and Chino Hills are two athletes. different cities? Yeah. So wow. Chino is down the hill. Chino Hills is up the hill. Okay. And I think the Ball family was from Chino Hills. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Diana Taurasi was down in Chino. Man, there's people yeah. listening to this in LA who were like, this guy doesn't know anything. And I don't. I well, live in Salt Lake. They're probably thinking the same thing about me. I just <laughs> stay, I stay in my little bubble. I try to avoid traffic as much as possible. And... Uh, yeah, like everyone should in L.A., right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so we've been connected for a while, uh, but have not done a podcast episode, which bring, brings me sadness, but we are, uh, we're rectifying that here, overlooking the entire Cosmoprof uh, floor, yeah. which, is, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, have, do you come to Cosmoprof often? Is this a regular show for you? Like, tell me about... PPC. What do you guys do? Yeah. So we're, we're a 53 year old, um, packaging, uh, distributor or broker. Uh, a lot of basically like brands have a lot of packaging problems or projects and they come to us and then we go to our network of suppliers to solve those problems. Um, we can kind of function in a two. Most of the time we buy the goods from the manufacturer and sell to the customer cause we have really good buying power. So most of the time we can actually save our customers money. And they take advantage of all of our expertise, and we try to bring as much value as we can. Um, it's a family business, so my grandparents started it mm. back in 1970. Uh, my dad started working there even before I was born, um, so I was literally born into the world of packaging. Uh, one of my earliest memories when I was like five, six years old, my dad would take me to stores, and he would teach me what bad packaging was, like what broken packaging looked like. So. 
if it was leaking or if the labels were off and I would just like go down the aisles and, and, you know, find it and then basically put the samples in this like basket or shopping cart. And then he would have a notebook and he would just start writing them down and he would contact the companies and be like, Hey, I want to help fix your packaging. And that was kind of the ethos of the origin of the business was just to help as much as we can to give, to give, to give. And, you know, along the way, try to try to pay our bills too. Right. Yeah. It's important. You said at five or six, you were doing store walkthroughs to identify. Yeah. Yeah. Like I knew about neck finishes and different plastic, you know, materials and all of it. I, I, it was, it was kind of trial by fire. And because of that, the last thing that I wanted to do when I was an adult was work in the packaging industry. (laughs) So I said I would never work for a family business or in packaging or live in Los Angeles when I was like in high school. Oh yeah. And now I live in Los Angeles. You're fulfilling all your dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Is, uh, did you, did you work outside of the family business and then come back in or how was that? Yeah. So early on kind of the family business that kind of recognize it, you know, a lot of family members that just go straight into their family business. Like they don't really gain an appreciation for like what the world looks like. So the way that I like to say, it's like, I think everyone who has a family business should go out and learn lessons on someone else's dime and get new experiences and then come back later. And because I didn't want to be in the family business, it worked out pretty well for me. So right out of college, my first gig was with Enterprise Rent-A-Car, doing through their management training program, which I lasted like nine months. And I was like, I don't want to do that forever. Uh, Nothing against Enterprise. I actually really enjoyed the experience and the people that I met. And then uh, got into real estate. Uh, we were doing 1031 exchanges uh, into tick properties or tenant in common. It was like fractional ownership, securities, super startup, um, all online marketing based. And it was like a crash course. And I was working 18 hours a day, sleeping on a couch, just like learning everything about that. And that lasted about four years. Um, and keep in mind, all throughout this, I'm still involved in packaging. Hmm. Like I'm still like trying to find new customers or helping out with little projects or, and just staying involved reluctantly. Okay. Uh, and then after all the real estate stuff, um, I was like, I need to just like, I don't know. Like I love coaching. I'm an athlete. Like I love the outdoors and the opportunity came up for me to go to the camp that I served, like, that I worked at, uh, in Maine as a camp counselor okay. to be director. So like 25 years old, they hired me, which was the dumbest thing they could have done. <laughs> uh, looking back, I was so young. I didn't have any kids. Like there was just, there was so much that I just hadn't experienced yet at the ripe old age of 42 now, which I feel like I'm still just getting started. Right. And uh, so, yeah. So then I went and did this summer camp director. Um, looking back, I think it was one of those, op- those times. And I think we all have these times when like I was stretched more than I've ever been stretched from a leadership side, from a communication side. I mean, I was trying to convince parents to send their kids to camp for three, four or seven weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was tough, but it was like, I realized the value of being honest, being trustworthy, communicating clearly and well to, in, in order to gain trust in order for people to like trust you with their children. Yeah. And I see a lot of parallels now because when we talk to brands, a lot of brand founders and owners, like their business is kind of like their child. Like they've blood, sweat, tears, money, investment, risk, like all of it's like into this thing. And they need packaging partners and help in order to like make that happen. So um, anyways, uh, so their brands are kind of like their children. Yeah. And it's like, we have to entrust our child that we have birthed this new brand and 
can you can you handle it for the next three to seven weeks as we kick this project off? What it, kind of camp was it by it the really way? Is. So it was it was it was a straight up like traditional New England camp. I don't know what does that mean. I've never been to a New England camp. Was so it like is it like a faith based camp? Is it an athletics camp? Yeah. So it was it was a faith based with a focus on like character education. Got it. And so it had like team sports and individual activities. It was on beautiful lake in Maine. So there's a lot of boating activities and Sweet. beach and. Uh, but we did crazy things, like things I don't think that are allowed today. So we had like a, a, a pivotal camp moment that like the whole camp kind of led up to it was called Flag Trip. And it was a capture the flag game in the woods for 48 hours straight. No oh timeouts, no nothing. Tackle. So you have like one team trying to raid the other team. They're tackling people. And you have to build structures. So you're building a jail a latrine, a cooking area. It's like Fortnite without the guns. <laughs> Just like, yeah, and the, but the structures don't go up nearly as quickly as yeah, Fortnite yeah, takes yeah, a long yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. But it was crazy. I mean, it was... That's cool. Yeah, really, really fun experience. And um, you know that the best basketball player in high school is resides in Maine? No. Yeah. Cooper Flagg. Really? He's the best... Arguably the best high school player right now in the United States is this like six eight kid from Maine. Wow, of all places, it's pretty fun. That's cool. We're, we'll totally lose the entire conversation if I hang out on Maine basketball, but <laughs> we'll also lose people who are like, "I thought it was a packaging podcast." Yeah. Um, okay, so so you've you've learned these lessons. You got enterprise. You got the startup. Um, at what point did you get back full time into packaging? You're dabbling in it, and then you were like, "Okay, I'm going to." I'm going to rebel against high school Brandon and I'm going yeah. to go packaging. I'm going to work in a family business and I'm going to live in LA. Yeah. So yeah, basically high school Brandon, I stopped like having frosted tips, bleached hair. I had the face. Had to, had to, had to get through that. Sad. <laughs> We're the same age. I had yeah. the whole, yeah. I had the MC hammer yeah, steps when I was a too. kid. I had the, the shells with the frosted <laughs> tips. That's Arnett, why I bald. Arnett sunglasses. Was that, was that big in Utah or was it It more? was. I did not have I, – I grew up in Colorado, not in Utah, but okay. I did not have the Arnett's. Um, I feel like Oakley was still a pretty big brand okay. back then. I remember the Arnett sunglasses for yeah. sure. Yeah, but, they're um, big in yeah. Southern, Southern California. California. I guess. Yeah. We weren't as cool. Well, just later. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's true. Okay, so no more frosted tips. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, there was one more thing. So I, I fell in love with, like, retail business during that time. So I – uh, learned from a good friend and mentor of how to kind of run a business, a uh, retail business. And then I opened up a Fleet Feet store in Boise, Idaho. A what? With a what how? So Fleet Feet is a like running. Oh, Fleet Feet. S- yeah. I thought you said Fleet Feed. Fleet Feed? Like you were feeding a fleet of like birds or something. It was like yeah. a bird supply store. Yeah. Fleet Feet. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So we, so wife and I went out there, didn't know anyone, opened up the store, ran it for about two years and just realized that it, it was not going to work. No. Learned a lot of like really hard lessons and ended up selling the business to someone that owned kind of other stores in the area and exited out. It was not pretty and it was a really, really difficult time, but it was like, all right, let's get through it. Let's move on. And so that was the moment where it was like, okay, my folks needed some help. The business was kind of struggling. It just needed some help. So that was the moment where it was like, I'm ready to go back. My family's ready to have me on. And within six months, I was running the company. Uh, it needed a massive amount of like just help and work. A lot of people needed to 
to go that were pretty toxic in the business. And we've rebuilt the whole company and we've had our, our two strongest years in company history were the last two years. Mm. I think a lot of packaging companies had some good years during COVID. Um, but the people, the culture, the growth, our focus on sustainability, like all of it is headed in a really nice direction. So. Has that been, uh, it, well, how long ago was that? Have you been in this role? So I guess about five years now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I'm sure there was like directions and then there was COVID and it was like hard pivot, especially because you guys do primarily, so primarily rigid packaging. Is that correct? Or is it? I'm talking like bottles, caps, yeah. sprayers, things like that. Is that your primary business or is that incorrect? Yeah. So I would say like, like our, like our knowledge and, it, and again, over like 50 years, like you kind of learn how to get in trouble in a lot of different ways when you're a distributor. Cause right. it's like, you know, brands are like, Hey, can you get this for me? It's like, I don't know. Let me go find it. Like it's not in our current 100%. Rolodex. I was, I was a, I did purchasing for my uncle's company who is okay. a packaging distributor and broker. There you so go. Be like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. I guess I got to go find it. So I get what you're saying. So the things that we have like really core competencies, like, like the bullseye things are usually like any type of primary packaging containers and plastic, glass, aluminum, um, all different types of caps, closures, dispensers. So anything going on those bottles. And then recently over the last five years, we really got into like secondary. Okay. So helping brands with their secondary packaging as well. Um, but it's not, it's not like one of our, it, it's kind of like on the side of things yeah, sure. that we can kind of help out with. Well, if someone's buying a primary package, they tend to need and that's, a label, a box, a bag, a sachet, or whatever. Exactly, and and that's what kind of caused it. Yet all these brands are like, you know, can you? We we really like working with you. Can you help us out with this too? And we, it, you know, initially we're like, nah. Like, here are some people you should go talk to, and and then it just kind of was like, now nah, we just rather work with you guys. So, yeah, yeah. But we love our. I mean, our manufacturing partners, great relationships. I would say that one thing that we're really moving away from in the world of like packaging distribution is there was kind of like this veil of secrecy. So like the brands didn't know who was actually making the stuff mm -hmm. and the, and, and, and distributors would try to do everything they could to kind of like protect that knowledge. And I just don't think that's like the future of packaging. Mm -hmm. Like I think the, with sustainability being really important to me and to, to our business and to the industry, I mean, you have to know where things are being made, the quality of the factory, the social quality audits that they've gone through, the certifications, the chain of custody, like all of those things need to be involved. And if you're going to try to keep everything secret, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare. I totally agree. I think that we're in an era of, you know, obviously an explosion of data. And that has led to a need for transparency. And especially in the packaging industry, when you start looking at the, the EPR laws that are coming into play, the, the pressure on brands from their consumers yeah. to have that chain of custody that you're talking about, whether it's human rights or, or sustainability, it doesn't benefit a distributor mm -hmm. to hold back that information or, you know, like... So I, I, you know, there's some distributors who will just like make up their own words for products yeah. so that nobody knows what it actually is. And then they'll, they'll fudge things on, on spec sheets. And I think brands for a while there, it was kind of like, doesn't really matter. We just need to get the stuff, whatever we're buying this thing. And now it's like, no, 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 we need to know because we have to report. We have, you know, ESG reporting and financing is tied to ESG scores. And in a lot of cases, and it's like, 
all of that stuff means to your point, and it sounds like you guys were ahead of the game on this. If you're a distributor, if you're a broker, if you're a manufacturer, it doesn't matter. Like you should, you have to be willing to say, this, this is our supply chain. This is our base of business. And if you're scared of that, my personal opinion is it means that you are scared of your own value as a, as a supplier to them. Yeah. You're terrified that if the, like if more information about your supply chain means that you're afraid you're going to lose a customer, you're going to lose that customer. It do, it's just a matter of time. That's my personal. I, I, I think, I think you're right. And that's one of the struggles that I know a lot of packaging distributors are going through here. Is mm-hmm. there, is there, is they're feeling the pressure of, you know, letting the customers know because the customers are the ones that are driving this you know the pressure is on them because they need to communicate things to the to their consumers the customers and the customers are getting really smart and savvy so for example if a brand's like yeah our whatever our cosmetic package is made out of 100 percent abs pcr so abs is a type of plastic and post-consumer recycled be recycled abs and pcr is post-consumer recycled so that means that they would have had to capture consumer recycled ABS and recycled almost all recycled ABS comes from the automotive industry. Hmm. So it's actually qualified as PIR or industrial recycled content. And so the question is, is like, all right, well show me the chain of custody. Like where did this recycled content come from? And they're like, yeah, here's a piece of paper that says that it's recycled content. And they're like, no, I know it's recycled content, but where did it come from? Where was it collected? Where was it processed? Who did it? Nothing. Nothing. It's like that quote from Tommy Boy, uh, you know, I can take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, <laughs> but I just told you a guaranteed piece of crap. And it's, and, 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 it's, and it's hard because I think we all assume that if you can't show where it's from, then it's crap. And that's not necessarily true. Like, like it, it very well could be 100% PCR, ABS from cosmetics collected in a socially responsible way, processed in a really clean way with not a lot of like chemicals during the process or whatever else, but if, w- without the documentation. And, mm-hmm. that's, and that's, that's where I think technology is going to be really fun over the next five to 10 years. Yep. Blockchain, tokenization, like all of these tools could be used to basically guide packaging through its entire life cycle and incentivize all members along the packaging value chain to do their part to make sure that at the end of life it's recaptured and then reprocessed again. Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, following, you know, a, c- a couple of different companies in that uh there's a scrap uh so mikey and his his uh that whole business is really cool and they're kind of building out that infrastructure for people who recycle at their homes to be able to know what it is they're supposed to do and there there could be a really awesome blockchain use case to reward good actors and to punish bad actors yeah in that um spec rights obviously been a, a amazing partner for the podcast but the amount of data that they're able to collect and then act upon, I think is, is another area, you know, it's the packaging industry, right? So we don't exactly move at the speed of these SaaS companies, but I think that a lot of that pressure is starting to build on us and where we have to be transparent, which is really the, I think the biggest value of blockchain technology is, you know, we have to be transparent because we have real pressing problems to solve for our environment, for our consumers, for our economy. I mean, there's a lot of 
things. It's a giant industry, right? You and I both yeah. know that. You were born into it. Huge. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot of cool stuff we can do. Uh, yeah. So let's, let's maybe kick it back over here to the show because we're at Cosmoprof. And uh, so what, what are you seeing, you know, talking with people? What's sort of the, the general tone of, of the show that that you've picked up on. I only walked it yesterday because I got into town late. Yeah. Um, so I walked it for a little bit yesterday. I'm hoping to get a lot more time out on the floor today. It's the last day I know, but I actually mm-hmm. kind of like the last day of the show because everyone's kind of, okay, I can relax a little bit. It's the yeah. last day. And you can have some really good conversations with people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a secret that I don't want to get out. <laughs> um, is that the last day is actually the best day for like packaging people to go around and talk to brands. Yeah. Cause most of the buyers, Oh, that's fine. Most of the buyers are, um, you know, are gone yeah. on, the, on the last day. So now it's like kind of supply chain day, but yeah, don't, and, don't, and, don't tell anybody. Yeah. yeah, yeah don't, it's fine. I'll edit, I'll edit that out. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it's not like, that's not like a, a nefarious thing. It's like, no, it's no. good to be able to just like have real conversations and not a crowded booth yeah. where, you know, all of their, because you feel like you're taking away from their, yeah. why they're here. Nobody showed up at the trade show to be sold to. Mm-hmm. They came here to move product, to sign up new, their supplier base, right? So it's like, yeah, they have packaging problems. They're probably, it's probably not 1A on their list. Mm-hmm. But by day three, they might be like, actually, yeah, we were, Sephora was hitting us up about, you know, having more you say ABS, PCR, whatever yeah. it is. And, yeah. and I've been meaning to talk to someone about that. Can you help me solve this problem? And you can have more of those real conversations. Absolutely. Uh, you're right. All packaging professionals, like be aware of what the brands want to do at a show and respect. I actually, we, I, I was watching this group of packaging. There was like four of them and they took over this person's booth. And there was a, a buyer from Ulta that was like, and they just, they were like blocking the conversation from happening. I was just watching it being like, oh man, I think we just need to have you know, a little bit more awareness, but. Um, That's the worst. Yeah, it was rough. I, it drives me nuts. Yeah, I wanted to say something and I kind of kicking myself for not. You should have punched them right in the face. That would have been. faces. That would have not been <laughs> reasonable response. Just taken, just kicked them right in the auto bottom. Just. I was more thinking of like just tripping and falling and like faking an injury oh to gosh. distract them or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I think, uh, so like I love coming to Cosmoprof and I think Las Vegas is, is, is one of the best events. I'll also go to the new one in Miami mm-hmm. and then do the Hong Kong one as well. Um, I think the overall vibe here is that it's a little bit, it feels more manageable. I don't know if it's this, the way they set it up, but, yeah. but it feels a little bit more manageable to everyone. Um, and I think maybe just people are spreading out more or, you know, it's not as like super crowded, but the quality of the conversations have been really, really good. Um, I think like from topic standpoint, so I was here on Monday and I gave a talk on Tuesday. It was a panel discussion on sustainable packaging oh, and missed, the yeah, future of... Yeah, I saw of, that on my thing and I yeah. missed it. I was driving. It was, it was actually really, really well attended. Uh, standing room in the back and then afterward, I, like any panel discussions I do, I, it's like the number of people that line up to talk to the panelists. Like that's how, you know, kind so of the measurement of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, good or not. And at the end there was, I mean, each of us had eight or nine, ten people. Um, that wanted to ask more, more questions. So I, overall, like su- sustainability is definitely still, I would say the most popular topic that people are talking about, but 
either people are really into it or they're really not. Mm. And some booths don't care at all. Some brands don't care at all, uh, which is still kind of interesting to me. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, we're just we're recording this in a room. It's, yeah, okay. I don't Great. I don't mind the background noise. Great. At all. We're live <laughs> making a recording. I just want to check. Sorry, I was making awkward faces at Adam because there's a lot of noise going on in the background. And I was like, should we move? Should we pause this? No, thing? no, no. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. I'm recording one uh, this afternoon actually with a booth, um, 1821 Manmade. Oh yeah. Have you seen their booth? No. So they have these like men's grooming products and the packaging. It looks like you know, like a whiskey bottle for shampoo. That's cool. Or like a like a flask is for like you know beard oil. Yeah. And I just love how they took. I love I love when companies take like n- packaging that is meant for another industry, and then they can use it in a way to drive value for their people. So I'll be out on the show floor. It'll be plenty noisy, and cool. I can't wait for that. So That's good. we're good. That- uh, there, there, there's another booth that used um, plastic bottles in the shape of like oil cans for yeah. their product, and every time I see it, this is this is bad, but it reminds me of an SNL skit uh, where it was like a men's makeup line. <laughs> yeah, you have those. to look it up. It's like there's like a gun for applying like mascara, and oh then like gosh. a grenade for your blush, and it was like super masculine and way over the top. But uh, obviously, these brands aren't doing that. No, no, no. Me, yeah, they're, it makes they're, me think about it every time. I love that. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's cool. And, and, you know, I would, I would expect that, I would expect that sustainability would still be top of mind. Um, especially if you're following what's happening over the trends that are happening over in the EU, you know, if Colorado is behind California in our Arnett sunglass wearing, just, US, Ar- just Arnett just sunglasses. Arnett sunglasses. That's the only yeah. thing that is behind. <laughs> <laughs> then for sure. Uh, I think that the U.S. tends to trail the EU in terms of its sustainability goals and things like that. And so um, not all the time. Obviously, we're, we're, we're not always behind. But it is important for us to continue to watch what's happening with, yeah. with the U.N., with the EU. And, um, and for a lot of these brands who some of them are from Europe, right? Um, yeah. It's not surprising that, that you would have a line of eight yeah. or nine people deep. Why do, you, why do you think the U.S. is behind the EU in a lot of ways on sustainability? Um, I don't have any idea. There is, if I had to guess, so I do have an idea. That's not entirely true. But if I had to guess, the, the countries in the EU tend to be a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word would be, mono, uh, like mono ethnic, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, if you look at like Norway or Sweden, it's like, you're Swedish or you are Norwegian or you are now, you know, that starts to fall apart when you get into like France and Germany, where there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of people who kind of come in there. America, it, if you, you know, you just follow like the, the discourse of America, I think it's hard for us to all kind of row in the same direction. Mm. Um, and part of that's really healthy. I think, Mm. I think it's good to have that, as long as it's not hateful and like super combative, but we take a lot longer because there's just a lot more dialogue and people come from all over the world to live in America. Um, and so I think that stuff can just happen a little bit faster over there. Yeah. And, and especially in countries where maybe you have a little bit more, uh, we'll call it like a bigger 
federal government influence over the over the country it's like okay when we decide to do this we're going to push push you an epr law yeah it just happens if you try to push through something here it's like well maine's going to do this thing and oregon's going to do this thing and what does it mean for california and then colorado's coming on board and it's like oh my gosh we don't know we're a brand we sell into all these places how do we manage this we just have a large land mass states rights they're just complexities that have a lot of benefits but i also i think would contribute to part of our uh, lagging behind some of the things that happen over in Europe. Yeah. But eventually they make it over here. It just seems to take some time. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be that, I don't know. I think one of the big pieces is getting the business side, like the profit centers side out of like the recycling part. Mm. Because like for, for the most part, that's, that kind of determines what materials are captured yeah. a lot of the time and without federal, you know, government subsidies or funding or, you know, whatever, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough, but I think the more recycled material that is used that could drive demand up and then prices could, you know, incentivize the whole like recycling stream to capture more. Did you go to circularity at all this year in Seattle? Put on my green biz. I was there. uh, Corey was there actually. Corey Connors. Shout out to Corey. Sustainable packaging. What up Corey? Corey And uh, there was a panel discussion and one of the ladies said, she runs a recycling center and she said, you know, people ask like, why don't we innovate? Why don't we invest? And she said, because the, the pricing index, like mm. what people are going to pay for something in six months might be half of what it is today. So how am I going to go as a business owner, go invest millions of dollars in processing and collecting for this particular material when the, the price could be half? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what there's no, there's no smoothing out of pricing in our industry and so if you're wondering, why don't we, why don't we invest in it? It's because we don't know. Wow. We don't know what's going to be valuable. Yeah. And so it's hard for us to make those big, of course they invest in things, but it's, it's just tough. You know, it's like, what if we invest in, you know, PVC mm-hmm. recycling and then it gets outlawed. Yeah. And now we have all this equipment sitting there that nobody can make PVC or you just there's a lot of unknowns yeah yeah and again going back to your point state by state right i mean what may work in one area isn't going to work in another state and yep and even by even city by city county by county like it's yeah that's why that scrap recycling app is such a great idea and then like gamifying it too i think is going to be really fun just in terms of like education and incentives you know rewards incentives and things i love it yeah brandon we are at uh let's see 30 minutes and 20 Nine seconds. I thought I thought we were going for th- three hours. Well, this, this is not be, uh, this is not the Joe Rogan packaging oh, podcast. Right. Uh, let's talk about mushrooms. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else they talk about there. I've actually never heard a Joe Rogan episode, though he's like the most famous podcaster. Yeah, uh, I, I I have not listened to a whole episode either. People don't really t- tend to want to hear me talk to uh, talk about packaging for longer than a half an hour. I would want it. I will thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, the, yeah. The, uh, the masses of packaging podcast listeners are about 20 to 30 minutes are just like, all right, buddy, let's, yeah. let's, I got to move on with my day. That's fair. Um, but how do people get in touch with you? How, what, what's the best way for them to reach out, learn more about what you're doing at, yeah. at uh, PPC? Um, yeah. So our, our, our website is ppcpackaging.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, pretty easy to find there. Um, Frank, not Frank's. Not Frank's. Yeah. 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 Brandon Frank. 
of the Franks. Of the Franks. Of the Frank family. When yeah. the phrase, let's go Brandon, became a thing in America, <laughs> was that good for you or bad for you? Um, no comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we can't. We're never going to go there. We don't have time to flesh that one okay, out. Okay. Yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Brandon, I really appreciate it. Thanks for carving out some time here, beginning of day three. Have a great show. And I'm sure I'll see you. It's not a busy floor at all right now. Uh, so I'm sure I'll see you out there. Yeah. Millen. Milling yeah. a boot. Sounds good. That's my, my Canadian friends. A boot? Yeah, a boot. Yeah. All, All right. right. Well, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Adam.